Hi, I'm Ambika Gotham Pai. I'm a writer and the chief strategy officer of an ad agency called Mechanism. I'm a mom of two little babies and the sort of person who just cannot stop thinking. You are listening to Corner Office Breakdowns, a podcast that reconciles humanity and the workplace. Here we dive into conversations that usually happen in whispered tones or behind closed doors and bring them to the center, contemplating and breaking down the way leading and living have historically been done and rebuilding them together. Corner Office Breakdown sits at the intersection of business and leadership, equity and emotion, parenthood, womanhood, personhood, and as crazy as it sounds, the meaning of life. All of the guests you will hear from are people who have fundamentally changed my outlook. They may shift yours too. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you like this podcast. I hope you love it. I hope you share it. And I hope you subscribe. Today, we have the absolute privilege of speaking with Alpha Demolash. Born and raised in Ethiopia, Alpha now lives in New Jersey with her husband and two boys. She is the CEO and co-founder of Rising Tide Capital, which is a nonprofit organization that provides underserved entrepreneurs with the resources they need to launch and grow successful businesses. Since 2005, the organization has operated the Community Business Academy, a 12-week course that provides intensive business management training coupled with year-round coaching and mentorship, now serving a network of more than 3,000 entrepreneurs in New Jersey, Illinois, South Carolina, and North Carolina in their planning stages. Corporate foundation and government funders underwrite the cost of this tuition and services for all participants. 70% are women of color. By building successful businesses, entrepreneurs meet their families' basic needs, create opportunities for social mobility, and help transform their local communities into thriving economies. She is also the co-founder of Future Tide Partners, an organization which equips cross-sector leaders to shift capital, policy, and culture in a rapidly changing world of work towards an inclusive, flourishing future economy. She was named a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader in 2015 and has appeared in media outlets such as CNN, O, The Oprah Magazine, Essence Magazine, Bloomberg, Inc., The Suze Orman Show, Business Week, and Entrepreneur Magazine. She has been recognized by President Barack Obama, received the prestigious 25th Heinz Award in the technology, the economy, and employment categories, and was named a CNN hero and one of the most powerful women changing the world in Forbes. She currently serves as a commissioner on the New Jersey Future of Work Task Force and is a board member of the New Jersey Pandemic Relief Fund. Alpha Demolesh, we are so grateful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. So we met in 2018. Yeah. And we had dinner. I used to work with your sister, who still is one of 
the people who occupies space in my heart after all these years. And she said to me so many times, you have to meet my sister. You have to meet my sister. And I also have a sister. So I get that relationship. Mm. And you're an elder sister, as am I. Mm. And we sat down for a meal together and we talked and we talked and we talked and we talked. Yeah. Yeah. And there is one part of that conversation that replays itself in my mind over and over mm. for the last five years. And I'm so happy that you are here to talk with me about it today. And that is the topic of love privilege. Mm -hmm. It was something I had never heard. It is something I had never really thought of, you know, to most of us, privilege is connected to wealth and financial security. It's often connected to whiteness. It's often connected to lineage and nepotism and being born with the silver spoon in your mouth. Mm -hmm. But love privilege could potentially supersede all other privileges. And it just comes down to the privilege of being loved mm -hmm. um, and growing up with access to love and access to that sense of connection and belonging. Mm -hmm. so I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah. hand it over to you um, yeah. to tell us you know where this came from when did this take root in your life um how did it how did it emerge as such a crystal clear concept in your mind well uh yes it's it's so wonderful to kind of reflect back on that uh dinner that epic dinner in new york <laughs> <laughs> all these many years ago i and, know you know and it was just such it, it wasn't too long right after like that idea had crystallized mm. that you and i had that dinner and so it was just it's even in my imagination a part of how i think about love privilege and the ways that it shows up was like to meet this perfect stranger that <laughs> my loving sister is like you two are meant to meet yes she did nothing that. else mm -hmm. and then to feel like that sense of this is how expansive love privilege is and this is actually mm -hmm. how it works its way out in the world and mm -hmm. If you're open to it and you see it, then it's like a gross and yeah. powerful. And so, but I'll I'll reel it back to like the couple of months before you and I had that dinner. Mm -hmm. uh, it was actually with my sister and mm -hmm. my husband. We were uh, having a, a dinner conversation, and really, uh, it was also at the time when the conversations around racial justice mm -hmm. and everything that was happening in the world. This was pre-pandemic, pre-George mm -hmm. Floyd, but it was beginning to really just ramp up. Yeah. And we were all having the conversation about privilege and particularly mm -hmm. white privilege. Yes. And there is something definitely very powerful about naming that form of privilege Um so we can begin the conversation and the conversations that have been being had since then. Mm -hmm. uh, so very important to name it, but there was also a flip side to it that felt like 
so much of the world and our potential and our hopes for it were being contained within this idea of white privilege Mm. and it felt like a very small room because the world's population that is white is actually a very tiny minority compared to the rest of the world yeah and to call the attention of the entire rest of the world like billions of people's Mm -hmm. attention and the framing and the meta narrative through the lens through which that entire rest of the world is Mm -hmm. meant to um, understand their ambition Mm -hmm. this lens of this very tiny room yeah felt very limiting Mm -hmm. and the fact that so many black and brown people across uh, this country but the rest of the world were having the conversation Mm -hmm. because there is this you know a lot of white people may not be having the conversation about racial justice and and but most of black and brown families are having this conversation Mm -hmm. so it was an opportunity so we're trying to unpack that and saying what do we feel about that that's Mm -hmm. so many dinner table conversations by the billions Mm -hmm. we're centering this concept of privilege that was a very uh limited even from an imagination standpoint Mm -hmm. can't say oh that's what we want we want white privilege we want what the white people have it's like yeah that's such a limiting view of like, why would we orient our soul's vision towards this very limited um, mm. understanding of yes. it? So that was kind of the pragmatic inquiry uh-huh. <laughs> the soul level. And, and then I think, you know, in that dinner, I had uh, just a moment realizing that my sister who is born in this country, but is uh, Ethiopian by heritage. And so a, a black woman next to Alex, who's a white American male. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of them had something abs- like something in common, mm-hmm. uh, which I've experienced, obviously, Rebecca since her birth, mm-hmm. but as she's grown up as an adult, mm-hmm. that they move uh, in very similar vibrational mm-hmm. kind of ways. Mm-hmm. And it is very much uh, anchored in um, in this experience of unconditional love mm-hmm. that they they don't even know is a thing it's just the air they breathe it's how they move right and um and I had the opportunity to sit and think about that and that what is that privilege and what would I call it and and so love privilege was born at the table I'm like wow you two despite the very different ways they were raised and their gender and racial identity Mm -hmm. they shared something that was very foundational Mm -hmm. and of course that's not to mean that uh and I know both very well and love them so much and so Mm -hmm. 
it's not to say that they don't have insecurities and fears and concerns and doubts and all of the things that come with that, but the space and place out of which they navigate those choppy waters mm-hmm. is a very different place than what I've had to learn because of my own early childhood experiences yeah. and challenges uh, to really see and recognize what it looks like when you don't have it mm-hmm. and to recognize what it feels like when you do have it. Yeah. And I've arrived into that space, but with a lot of awareness mm-hmm. about uh, what it feels like when you don't have it, what the experience of it looks like when you don't have it. So love way. privilege yeah. was also born out of contrast. So yeah. for for people like you and I, white privilege is a construct of contrast, mm-hmm. it's the haves and the have nots. Yeah. And it seems like in your mind, the birthplace of love privilege was also contrast because you were seeing these two people who you love deeply navigate the world in a way that you maybe have not always been able to. So how was your experience different than theirs in your early childhood? Yeah. Um, And, you know, the my experience in particular, I would say, especially having arrived at this idea of what love privilege could look like, feels mm-hmm. what it feels like, I could say that in my earliest childhood, mm-hmm. I had a lot of love from mm-hmm. all kinds of different places and spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom had left when I was two years old because of a big dictatorship and conflict and she'd lost uh, her older sibling Mm -hmm. and um, and so it was a time of really lots of fear and terror was actually called the red terror Mm -hmm. uh, in Ethiopia's history and so her youngest sister had said leave her with me and go and you know run like just you know because the dictator at the time was very much focused on uh eliminating or uh really just terrifying Mm -hmm. the younger generation the particularly the university students Mm -hmm. were um who he saw as a threat to his power so when that happened my grandparents I mean Mm -hmm. you can just imagine all these families who are grieving their mm-hmm. losses who are confused were trying to protect their children and you know myself cousins others who are kind right. of off in this uh you know uh family environment where everyone was just hyper aware of how fragile our hold on life was that wow one given time something could happen and you know your loved ones are no longer there so oh my gosh that environment yet so much intense care right like my 16 year old aunt who raised me who took on that task and told my mom she will be like a purse to me like I would not put her down I will not Mm -hmm. like you know she will be with me by my side and and so 
up until eight, I had that kind of village, family, aunts, cousins, everybody, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very loving, multiple loving yes. relationships in my life. Yes. Um, and I felt very abundant, like even though there was mm-hmm. chaos and craziness and um, it didn't it didn't strike uh, me with a level of fear uh, that was clearly present for the adults who are navigating that environment. Mm-hmm. But then around uh, eight and a half, uh, my biological father, who is not, um, you know, who is not kind of, what's the way to put it? He didn't really have a relationship with me mm-hmm. and was um, a very challenged individual Mm-hmm. showed up out of the blue and uh kidnapped me in a very kind of violent sort of way oh my gosh Ripping me out of like this fabric of reality and uh and so I lived with him for a year and it was the one of the most difficult life experiences uh and in that time that's when I felt like I lost that sense of, you know, nobody was able to find me. No one is coming. And, and he was very, um, very threatening uh, and also violent. And so I didn't think I, like, it was like every day was like, could be the last. So in that environment, I actually had an experience that was very uh, life altering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the only way to describe it because I thought if no one was coming rather than living with this dread of every day, you know, the thing, the shoe could fall. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of needed to take things into my own hands and liberate myself. Wow. As an eight and a half year old at this point, nine and a half. So at nine nine and a half, half. I'm thinking this is, this is go time. And I'm like a scrawny, tiny little. Yeah. I mean, your son is 10. Your son (laughs) is 10. My son is 10. It would not have. Yeah. No, 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 no. no. You're like, no, negative. That would be the thing. But um, I did have most likely because, uh, and this expands our conversation about how powerful and multi-generational love privilege can be mm-hmm. because I was gifted with an intense vision mm-hmm. uh, that stopped me from trying uh, to attempt my freedom by actually like you know smothering him with a pillow or something because he, he yeah. said he was somebody who is uh, who would use sleep torture and so I, I just thought maybe this would be my escape you know I would of course never have worked but before anything like just at the moment mm-hmm. there was just this big vision that was like mm-hmm. and it was yeah it's what I'd never seen the universe mm-hmm. like there wasn't like we weren't sitting around watching discovery channel or space yeah. or <laughs> Uh, so I did not, you know, we watched some Indian movies, Bollywood, but <laughs> there were some, we would hang out and like the one house that had TV, you know, we would yeah. watch Bollywood and Shahrukh Khan. Yeah, seriously. So yeah. there wasn't like Discovery Channel or like, you know, um, 
but it was this picture of this crazy swirling like universe uh, and it's like galaxies it was like mm-hmm. you know you are this I have chills all over my body and it was like and he is this mm-hmm. and if you do this you would never be free wow that was nine and a half <laughs> I was like Ooh. and it was a very uh it was a very embodied experience I was like what is going on like where am I what's happening yeah um and it shifted it changed everything like mm-hmm. just how I saw him uh how I saw the threat he paused to me mm-hmm. the sense that oh all is not what it seems it, mm-hmm. it was and in a child's mind was like it didn't even make sense I'm like why would if if that's who I am if that's who he is why is one this thing mm-hmm. trying to harm this other thing like how does yes. it work it was like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a spatula and a thing trying to yeah you're like what is this it doesn't even make any sense you yeah know? absolutely you know so in the child's mind you're just like oh so I was having a lot of like oh moments and mm-hmm. um and kind of feeling not uh, sorry for him but recognizing that it's almost like he was staring into some kind of a black hole or that he was like not able to mm-hmm. see like mm-hmm. the fullness of who he is and I certainly had no idea that there could be like a much more expansive uh, way of being and seeing and it just completely altered my relationship with him and like was in like two weeks he had like he would just start you know he started to break down anytime that he wanted to be you know physically abusive mm-hmm. he could just stop and just start crying so something obviously was going on with him right that was like okay you know um and and he actually took me to a very far far away place and because he used to always threaten to do this terrible thing uh we drove out into the desert for many 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 hours and I thought that was the end but even then I did not like I did not sit in those moments with terror and fear the way I had for a year it was just like oh you know I seem like I'm a very different thing being I don't even know how to describe it and he's Mm -hmm. a very like and we were like okay you know he's not okay um but uh I like the fear was not it wasn't there in that way at all like you just you can't unsee once you experience that you can't unsee it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so um and then when we got to some crazy little like place shack in the middle of a desert literally Mm -hmm. yeah and we had this conversation where he had shared he had asked you know he used to ask this question all the time it's like um do you do you want to go back to them meaning Mm -hmm. the rest of my family Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so if I say yes you know it's bad news um that's not how I'm supposed to feel uh and if I say no then there's not 
the right answer because I'm lying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there just was never the right answer. Maybe never cut it, cut it either. <laughs> so he asked the same question and uh, I could in complete honesty, you know, look him in the eye and say, the answer will be absolutely yes forever forever it will always be yes it will always be yes mm -hmm. and I am willing to stay here with you also forever until you are okay that is the most profound thing I've ever heard and you were nine and a half years old and he he said go wow so I got up, pushed the chair, walked out. I expected he would run after me and drag me back in, but nope. I kept walking to a big street. <laughs> this is like middle of a desert. There's like one road in the middle of a desert with these 18 wheelers, uh, like two of them rolling. And I waved my hand, got on with this 18 wheeler and like 18 hours later, in the middle of the night, they had delivered me to my grandmother's house in the middle of Addis Ababa, which is a very big, sprawling city. And I had reunited with my family. And so that, that speaking of contrast, right? Yeah. So for me... I've always, I mean, of course, that vision has made everything that happened mm -hmm. after that possible in terms mm -hmm. of everything. I, like, because once you start looking at people and going, oh gosh, like they don't know. Yeah. They don't know who they are. They don't know how like magnificent they look. Like if everybody had a, that mirror, they would be like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah. Wait a what does it mean and so uh I think the reverence the awe the uh just the and then the compassion that like we're a species that clearly have you know such a low visibility into some of our mm -hmm. uh inner beauty magnificence uh and also just like if that's the case, what does it mean in terms of mm -hmm. what it means to be in relationship with one another, what it means to have boundaries, what it means to have healthy, loving, yeah, um, you know, um, uh, relationships really. And so, so I've like, so my contrast experience, so I've, I've felt very much gifted because the way that I've held like why like why did that moment come for me and not for every child that mm -hmm. is experiencing something traumatic like that or every woman uh every you know everything that's happening in the war zones in the refugee camps mm -hmm. the why and why and and so the only way that I've been able to uh live with that question has been to say somebody must have prayed really hard maybe it's my 
great grandmother, uh, maybe it's somebody that I don't even know. Someone yeah. may have like the love that extends across time and across generations. Mm. And we don't know who's wishing us into being mm-hmm. and or who's wishing for that thing that we are going to do that we didn't even know we were going to do or that child we're going to have or that yeah. we're going to give or that you don't know why but and so that aspect of the the ways in which love transcends uh time and wow. space and these other boundaries is the way that I've been able to accept the gift and honor it and try to live my life with a sense of um stewardship for that mm-hmm. and so you know fast forward all these many years and wow. I see Alex and my beloved sister and uh, the two of them just without having been necessary, yeah. you know, yes. blasted into that level of awareness uh, have, um, have been able to um, exhibit the qualities of people who who have just an innate way of being Mm. that accepts uh, that lives off of that kind of a soil, that kind of a rich, Mm -hmm. healthy um, Mm -hmm. uh, way of being. And the only thing I could attribute it to is the ways in which they have been raised uh, by such loving parents yeah modeled what it means to love uh and have loved them and poured into them and and so they don't even think anything of it but I'm like I've seen the other side yes you have it can be quite trying and wow and so sometimes it comes to you through gifts you didn't know you know you couldn't have anticipated and and then but then there are like so many ways that love privilege could also be uh you know brought into being yeah by just the ways in which we are with each other and the ways yeah. we with our children and yeah oh, wow you took me on such a journey just then it is i am on the verge of tears thank you for sharing that with me what I am most blown away by is that as a nine and a half year old little girl you had such a capacity for love that you were able to see through another person's pain and wounds and torture and evil spiritedness and violence to see the loving being in them. I don't think this message of, of love privilege could come from anybody else. It is, you do, you must have a a profound gift because the depth of that experience and the hardship of that experience coupled with um, 
your awareness and realization that all of us carry our wounds and things like violence and uh, pain and most of the horrible things that we experience as humanity just comes from wounded love. Yeah. Oh my. Oh my. I know. Are we making ourselves cry? Mm, that's what's happening right now. <laughs> that is just <clears throat> incredible. I feel so blessed to be in your presence. Well, uh, thank you. And the feeling is completely and utterly mutual. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, yes. And I think, you know, I I definitely, my life's trajectory and work has been deeply impacted by that experience. Yeah. My questions about why, why aren't we, why aren't we seeing this? And how is it that, uh, you know, in so many places, in mm -hmm. so many places, there is such uh, violence and wounding on, you know, and that's why my studies, it's genocides and holocausts and like the darkest of these spaces to say, how did we do this to one another? How could we? Yeah. Um. But also knowing from that very experience and having experienced that that level of a certain that level in the sense of on an interpersonal level, mm -hmm. certainly not on a magnitude yeah. of what uh, happens when you have war and when you have uh, you know these terrifying events that mm -hmm. are still going on. Mm -hmm. um, just the profound absence of awareness about who we are and mm -hmm. wounding to your point mm -hmm. um and so the healing and i think this is where so many of our heroes uh be it you know mother Teresa or gandhi or mlk mm -hmm. you know the those who see uh the need for healing um and what's possible yeah. if that healing were to happen if that awareness of our true nature and capacities not to say that we don't have the capacity to stare into a black hole and be um be stranded ourselves yeah. um and yet you know to the extent that we can help each other see the fullness of mm. the range that's available to us and who we are and we who we are capable of becoming um even if we get stuck mm -hmm. um or um and then for some who never who never come out of that yeah perspective and wound others at a scale that blows our imagination away and really any scale at mm -hmm. any scale mm -hmm. it's still wounding the whole fabric yes it I absolutely could not agree more. And um, I read a lot. And there was this passage I read uh, that I'll read quickly out loud mm -hmm. um, that feels very aligned with this and this idea of the wounds and, and how certain wounds can cause 
such a ripple effect of pain. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a collection of studies, uh, by Susan Hartner, um, and they issued a report that examined the media profiles of 10 prominent school shooters between 1996 and 1999. Mm -hmm. Harder and her colleagues reported that in every case, in every case, the shooters described how they had been ridiculed, taunted, teased, harassed, or bullied by peers because of their inadequate appearance, social, or athletic behavior spurned by someone in whom they were romantically interested or put down in front of other students by a teacher or school administrator, all events that led to profound humiliation. So basically, there's been these links between peer rejection, humiliation, depression, and anger with both suicidal and homicidal intentions. And it's really at the core of it Individuals who are bullied become violent specifically when feelings of humiliation mm -hmm. accompany bullying. Mm -hmm. And um, Eli Weisel, speaking of the Holocaust, um, mm -hmm. said, mm -hmm. even when I'm enraged or afraid, never allow anyone to be humiliated in your presence. Mm -hmm. And this absolutely blew my mind mm -hmm. because I am very interested in the idea of shame. I think a lot of um, my conditioning and um, my wounds come from a place of shame. And so I've been reading a lot about shame and then shame took me into this humiliation territory. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like in this world of, violence and murder and shooting and I I didn't even know what to do with that but what's so interesting and I think why I'm even bringing this up is you were able to see again these wounds your father had wherever they came from you had no idea yeah but you were able to identify he is functioning from his wounds he is not functioning from love but there is love mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm sure you awakened some love in him mm -hmm. even if it was completely dormant mm -hmm. through your awareness and empathy and actions in that moment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I mean that is just beyond mm. and I, it's it's making me wonder mm. I mean this even makes me feel more so that love privilege is deeply real mm -hmm. because all of these students that you know are referenced in these studies are missing mm -hmm. that feeling of trust respect kindness, affection, connection, mm -hmm. which is love. And they're experiencing the antithesis of that. Shame, mm -hmm. blame, disrespect, betrayal, humiliation. Mm -hmm. And um, Brene Brown says, 
love can survive these injuries Mm -hmm. only if they are acknowledged, healed, and rare. Mm -hmm. And so you have overcome a lot. Mm -hmm. You acknowledged everything you went through. Mm -hmm. You healed it. Mm -hmm. And now you're sitting at a table in New Jersey, right? Temporarily upstate New York. Okay. Who knows? Okay. Okay. Temporarily upstate New York. But when you were, when you were talking about love privilege, you're sitting at this table in your home. Yes. With your two little boys. Yes. Probably sleeping upstairs, your loving husband, your incredible sister, Mm -hmm. and you are able to have this intense clarity mm-hmm. and come up with this concept. Mm-hmm. It, I'm just so blown away. Mm. Well, I, I would say that part of it, part of what your reflections make me think about, uh, because you know, my husband, Alex Forrester, and I've been, you know, working and doing everything in life together for uh-huh. Uh, many many years now we met like second day of college um, mm-hmm. and he's been doing some writing a lot of writing actually mm-hmm. on beloved community and mm-hmm. the kind of work we do mm-hmm. uh, with rising tide capital is also very much around uh, love and exploring the power of love mm-hmm. in places where we think love is not capable of or can't be imagined into uh, Mm -hmm. like our economy or uh, you know in our places of work or all you know like there are domains we think are beyond love Mm -hmm. um, or like they exist you know parallel but they're like in a different universe yes (laughs) and so uh, so we've been talking a lot about uh, love and its efficacy in the world and Mm -hmm. he's uh, been doing a lot of studying of King and uh, Gandhi's works. And so one of our most recent conversations, uh, which was triggered when you were talking about, um, you know, all of uh, the role that shame and humiliation Mm -hmm. is playing into these school shootings Mm -hmm. uh, in particular, but across the board. Uh, So one of the conversations we had was about the idea of how easy it is to see the power of and very quickly understand hate groups. Mm-hmm. You know, you hear hate groups and it's like, well, mm-hmm. it's not just the fear of them, but they can do bad things. They're oh, yeah. powerful. There's wealth. Yes. Uh, but we have a very hard time imagining love groups. Mm-hmm like to your point you know it just seems like oh that would be like I don't know kittens playing together <laughs> right. on a sunny, sunny day like yes no yeah it's of like what could love groups do you know yeah. it's uh so so it's very um important I think for us to name why why fear holds such a such a a grasp it has a grasp on our imagination like in an embodied way there's a we give it a lot of power and 
but our ability and capacity uh, to see and, you know, the whole thing about uh, what you give your attention to grow, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like our ability to name and to see the the things that give us love and compassion and empathy and the fact that love feeds so many hungry children mm-hmm. every night mm-hmm. across the world, like mm-hmm. love educates love heals love love is what moves us around and allows us to nourish one another and make for so many of us the ground that we walk on Mm -hmm. even if we take it for granted and we don't see it Mm -hmm. and so part of i think the the awareness is like how can we bring a certain level of visibility yeah Mm -hmm. to the kind of power like very embodied very active Mm -hmm. fierce Mm -hmm. power that love uh plays yes love has a passivity to it Mm -hmm. and hate feels very active that's a great way to name it yeah and therefore right hate is power Mm -hmm. And love is mm-hmm. almost in absence of hate. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting. And I was prepping for this episode and I could not find a definition of love. Mm-hmm. And Brene Brown was reflecting on the same thing because I was like, I, I'm very confused. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, um, Well, she says, Barbara Fredrickson describes the umbrella term of love as including the preoccupying and strong desire for further connection, the powerful bonds people hold with a select few and the intimacy that grows between them, the commitments to loyalty and faithfulness. So that I was like, okay, I like that. Mm -hmm. But then right after that, she's Mm -hmm. like, researchers don't even know if love is an emotion like there is so in the same way there is a complete lack of understanding of the spiritual human experience as you were speaking of earlier Mm -hmm. there also seems to be tied up within that a complete lack of understanding of love and Mm -hmm. love as a force Mm -hmm. versus love as an adjective Mm -hmm. or lovingness as an adjective right Mm -hmm. and I think that's really problematic Mm -hmm. because if we can't define something if we don't have the words how are we ever supposed to convey the importance of that thing Mm -hmm. and I think that's why love privilege has been just it has been floating around in my head Mm -hmm. but I haven't been able to pin down what about it is literally not haunting but consuming me (laughs) because it is so it is deeply deeply powerful magnetic impactful concept Mm. but when you hear it you're like I'm not quite sure what that means or Mm. I'm not quite sure what to make of that and it's because societally and culturally speaking we haven't done enough work around love yeah 
Like we should be reading bell hooks in in school, (laughs) not necessarily the history of Christopher Columbus, if you will. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. Like where we live in such fear-based culture and uh, fear of one another, fear of abandonment, fear of judgment, fear of being humiliated and shamed. And so it's a, a deficit oriented, mm-hmm. uh, lack oriented, scarcity yes. oriented uh, conditioning. Absolutely. And also, and that ties in such deep ways, uh, as you know, very well to the history of uh, what it means uh, to be a woman or feminine in any mm-hmm. way. Oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Because so much of the activity of love mm-hmm. and uh, and Alex and I actually talk a lot about love as an action, mm-hmm. love as an action. That mm-hmm. was a big rallying cry, uh, even in our earliest days when we would talk about, um, you know, different forms of love romantic love agape mm-hmm. love and mm-hmm. and just in in recognizing that there are there is a absolutely a deficit when it comes to definitions mm-hmm. um around not only concepts like love but even truth and mm. you know uh this is why alex is the philosopher and theologian in our family but there is a lot of Greek philosophy um, that is that has informed some of these ideas and concepts and mm-hmm. how they've been defined. And so we talk about, you know, for truth, for example, you know, its definition uh, as emet in Hebrew, mm-hmm. uh, which means faithfulness, mm-hmm. as opposed to uh, in Greek, uh, which defines it as something that you would kind of you can own a truth like oh interesting yeah really interesting yeah so like the difference between Aletheia and Emmet and so this idea of um Mm -hmm. even just I mean linguistically and for so many reasons how we may have uh inadvertently defined things as nouns as things that could be yes grabbed taken owned possessed hoarded you know as a way of um having power Mm. and what it looks like to reshape Mm -hmm. our understanding of power as something not to be hoarded grasped taken Mm -hmm. uh, but rather as something that is active and flowing and you know as a result a lot more difficult to grab and hoard yes but it's also what allows us to uh, have movement have life Mm -hmm. have uh a very different way of uh, being in a much more abundant mindset mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the, the scarcity and the fear which go along with one another. Uh, because when you look at the 
historical events uh, or things that are still going on, like slavery, right? Like grab, you redefine yes. who a human is, mm -hmm. what human life is, mm -hmm. and you collect, you hoard, you yeah. use. Um, or in the case of genocides and war, you, know, you uh, eliminate, you categorize mm -hmm. um, that activity, that part of our being mm -hmm. is operating out of a vision of uh, existence and what it means for us to be in relationship with one another mm -hmm. from a very uh, limited uh, and limiting perspective mm -hmm. um and it feels very much the moment that we're in to say mm -hmm. hey let's you know let's put a, a different kind of an oxygen mask on us yes. and say hey actually um let's rethink this because this is uh this is a death drive yeah this us destroying ourselves and each other and so many other species mm -hmm. and and there is there is the privilege of choice that we've been given for what we value and what uh what is creative and regenerative what heals what mm -hmm. it's life mm. and we can name that as the form of privilege mm -hmm. that we actually want to increase and we can increase it. Yes, 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 yes. Well, we can, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, the reason this podcast came unexpectedly, but the reason I have been writing so much about thinking through leadership in a different way mm -hmm. is because in my mind, and it sounds reductive. It sounds reductive to go from, you know, speaking of love and Mother Teresa, and I'm thinking of um, Gabor Mate and, you know, these, these incredible thought leaders of our time and then be like, how does this apply to work? I'm very... In every way. In every way. <laughs> it does. It applies in every way. And, you know, so much of my struggle um as I've worked and grown in my career has been there is so much ego and toxicity and land grabbing and power playing and the way we are thinking about leadership is the way colonizers have thought about leadership and power historically and it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. And as I have, you know, thought about my own leadership style, I've had to really parse apart who am I and what paradigms of leadership have been forced on me or have been ingrained within me mm -hmm. that I just have have had to navigate through. Mm -hmm. And that's the intention of all of this, right? Is like the, it, the concept of 
corner office breakdowns really originated around this idea of instinctual leadership, which is what I was thinking about when you were thinking about love privilege mm -hmm. and how leadership can be something that comes from within. And, you know, that is taking the internal and externalizing it versus taking the external and internalizing it. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I would love for you to share with everybody how you are implementing this sort of thinking into your work mm -hmm. um, with Rising Tide Capital and mm -hmm. how you have um, almost enacted forms of love mm -hmm. throughout your organization and how you're bringing it to, as you said, the, these kind of communities or spaces that really are traditionally devoid of love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, absolutely that uh, thought of, wait, can we bring love and such wonderful high-minded thoughts of <laughs> how we can be <laughs> into the world of work? And, yes. You know, my, um, my approach to it, certainly it, it may be even easier like going into at the highest idea levels of like working in economic development, mm -hmm. but also having chosen to do this work really from that place of um, understanding that we're flawed uh, and our flaws, uh, as we talked about around how we have such a limited understanding of our uh, capacities and our um, mm -hmm. really an understanding of our beingness uh, in all its forms, including our body and where we are, our relationship to the places that we're uh, in. And, um, and then recognizing, because I'd leapt into those darkest historical moments, it was really mm -hmm. was a question of what's the comeback story? Yes. Right. What's the comeback story? Um, and at the interpersonal level with me and my biological father, for example, mm -hmm. it, it really like it started and there were a couple of other interactions mainly for me to make sure I can get his blessing to leave the country and come here. And, mm -hmm. but it, it ended with go, right? Like, mm -hmm. it's like, I can stay with you forever if necessary, if that's what it's going to take mm -hmm. for you to be okay. And then him saying, go. Okay. And of course, it's okay. Like it's okay to um for us to exercise our capacity to make choices that establish the conditions for healthy relationality mm -hmm. at the interpersonal level. Mm -hmm. And uh and certainly I was given at nine and a half a shortcut mm -hmm. for how I can relate to uh my inner being and my the little girl that was mm -hmm. feeling completely out maneuvered yeah um and was navigating really more fears of abandonment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which and that little girl is still there yeah. and there are triggers that say hey abandonment maybe in the hoffing <laughs> she'll be yeah. like <laughs> let's not catch that train to the land yeah. abandonment. <laughs> you know so our bodies are there and they experience the traumas uh, and, you know, uh, epigenetics is, mm -hmm. is 
you know, field that I find to be very fascinating. Yes, absolutely. So we are not just carrying the blows and uh, and and challenges of what we're experiencing in our embodied form now, but also genetically from mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. others uh, who we are related to have experienced. And yes. so holding all of those truths um, where I'd navigated to is to say, I've been given this this little bit of like miraculous shortcut mm-hmm. for how I can be in healthy relationality with myself and recognize I I don't even know all of myself. I mean, mm-hmm. if I'm as as intense as like that multiversal view yeah. that I saw, I'm like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm not sitting around being like, let me make sure I get to know that multiverse. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, like, there's like all these universes around me too. And then mm-hmm. beyond, like there's a lot going on. Yes, it can get I'm overwhelming. Not, but I'm not sitting around being like, can I get to know mm-hmm. myself so much? Like, it's like, I'm, there are many unknown parts to me and I hope I could continue to discover them and mm-hmm. and, and uh, be in fuller and fuller relationship. Um, and, and so anyway, all that to say my work world in inquiring whether like what the comeback playbook is for institutional harm right mm-hmm. where we've organized as groups of humans and you know we've taken it upon ourselves to go do a job mm-hmm. and that job just happens to be <laughs> maybe something that doesn't align and in, in my case in my earliest days of studying things like the holocaust you know, those people showed up to work and they did some things that were really, and they just, you know, those who uh, killed millions and millions of people showing up in lab coats and pressing a button at the gas chamber and moving on and, you know, going home and having dinner with the kids and oh my goodness, they're doing a job. It's work. There's been, there's not been anything in the world that moves from A to B that requires humans coordinating amongst one another that we wouldn't call work, generally Mm -hmm. speaking. Wow, yes. So recognizing that it's like, so then what would it look like Mm -hmm. to A, at the very minimum, organize ourselves around uh, doing as little harm as we can? Mm-hmm. but that's really the minimum that's mm-hmm. the bare minimum of being like oh let let me just make sure I'm not running over someone's foot while I'm driving to work you know like yeah. mm-hmm. okay <laughs> but we have so many more capabilities right just being like you know I, I mean I think at the moment we're in such infancy in our own understanding of our capabilities mm-hmm. uh, our definitions uh, the boxes that we draw, yeah, uh, that we would, we are even hard pressed to imagine ourselves into to have enough of a moral imagination to yes. say, let me not drive over somebody's foot mm. on my way to work. Uh, let me minimize harm. Let me not humiliate and shame, uh, so that I can go from this office to that office or from this title to that title because that says I am bigger and better and more powerful. Yes. Um, and as a result, I could 
usually it's not just I could do more things. It's really I can have more things. Yes, I can have more things. I can have more things. So, and sadly, that having more things, and even if it means, you know, throwing somebody, mm-hmm. uh, or or even just actually for the vast majority of the kinds of works that we've been engaged in Mm -hmm. it's uh it's also just like ignoring the harm that we see around us because we're afraid that somehow we might get pulled into Mm -hmm. like you don't want to stop that bully that's because they come after you or you want to challenge that thing that someone said at work because what if it somehow turns against mm-hmm. you and then all of a sudden you become the target and and so such fear-based culture we are definitely like lacking moral courage right so there is the moral imagination part and then there's the courage to be like oh okay you know it's not just uh, that we can do this but we must do it. Mm. Yes. And that's where we need the courage part, because when you say we must do this, then it gets very scary. It does. It's uh, there may be sacrifices, there may be risk. And, and so I think that that part, and when we, if we were to bring that level of thinking about what is our work, what is our true work? I mean, who do you really work for? Mm-hmm. Who do I really work for? And because if I see you the way I have been gifted to see, mm-hmm. do I really see you as somebody who works, quote unquote, like your true work? I know what your true work is. I know what your gifting is. I could see it from the moment that we met. Mm-hmm. You know, so you may be in one floor, you may be with 500 people today, 20 people, one person, your school, your children's school, uh, your neighborhood, wherever you are, you're going to show up with all of those gifts around, can I ask this question? Can I assess what's actually happening? Can I engage with the wounding around me or the Mm -hmm. wounding within me? And how can I be in relationship that is, especially if you're sitting there wondering and thinking after all these years about love privilege, mm-hmm. like what is it about who I am and where I am that increases love privilege mm-hmm. in every interaction I'm in? Yeah. How can I be part of that which enhances trust faster than it's being ripped around me mm-hmm. by those who do not know they're participating, they're working in something that doesn't serve. And they don't know that. Mm -hmm. They don't know that. And and so supporting, Mm -hmm. it's like our species is in preschool. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, our species is in preschool. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And so it's like for the the time that we're present and embodied in our workplaces. And, and so that perspective is the perspective that I take. And so I've been privileged to run an organization uh, that's been growing 
over all these many years, 18 mm -hmm. years, uh, almost 19. And I've worked with all kinds of team members. And starting from when we were just, you know, two, my co-founder Alex and myself and five and and then 10, like my biggest, like and now, you know, over 30 and all these, you know, consultants wow. and um and working in multiple places in multiple communities. So 12 states now and working on beloved economy mm -hmm. work. How mm -hmm. can we manifest a different way of seeing each other, mm -hmm. our creative capabilities, regardless of where we are, the kitchen mm -hmm. table and the garage and the you know homeless shelter mm -hmm. and uh, just walking out the door from prison, mm -hmm. having served years in the college hall, wherever we are, how could we keep mirroring a sense of mutual visibility to mm -hmm. say, you and I, we have our purpose for why we're here, for why we're together in this moment, and for what we are here to advance and work on. Mm -hmm. And the way we do it, the way we relate to one another is the biggest part of the work. Mm -hmm. Because the work is happening on multiple dimensions yeah. and on a timeline that actually eclipses our understanding. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That's why presence is so important. Mm -hmm. right? And knowing that you could do something, you could say something in a, one interaction, in one dinner, in one meeting that tees up a whole whole other thing that ends mm -hmm. up happening out in the world mm -hmm. that is beyond your capacity to see or imagine but you know, so you have that opportunity wherever you are mm -hmm. and of course you have to check in mm -hmm. with the one that you're most responsible for mm -hmm. which is you and I believe like myself mm -hmm. and even that evolution because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have plenty of love. Yes. I did way too many things. I got to go out, out, out. And so I was very outward facing. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I started the nonprofit. And, you know, it's like, we have to fulfill on the promise of never. Yeah. We have to go out and show comeback playbooks for everybody. And it's in mm -hmm. everyone's hands. And let's go. Let's encounter these things. So I had a lot of that energy. And especially after I had my two children mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm going, whoa, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, yeah. What's going on? And is it okay that I'm exhausted? And then looking and checking and even revisiting my own story to say, oh, you know, uh, that little girl, that the body mm -hmm. versus the consciousness and awareness. Mm -hmm. It's not a versus relationship. They're, you know, mm -hmm. um, um, very much uh, <laughs> interwoven. Uh, and yet it can be very easy to forget the body. Yes. And the body's like, hello. Like, oh, what, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, what's going on? Like, we're in a rush to get to, <laughs> right? And mm -hmm. so I actually had to take very uh, soon after like a few months after you and I met um, I had to pull back and effect and out of that grounding and vision around mm -hmm. love privilege mm -hmm. actually activate what feels passive about love yeah 
mm-hmm. as a core strength. Yeah. And I actually took 21 days mm-hmm. of love privilege, essentially, where I sat down because the level of love privilege mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. does not demand that I do anything. That's incredible. Because because getting love is not connected to an output. At all. You are loved for being. Yes. And you can also love without demonstrating in service. You can mm. love with your intentions, with your uh, really an act of blessing, right? Like blessing your, the intentions that you are not even acting on, you can bless them. Yes. Like it's as if they have already happened and Mm -hmm. maybe, and, oh, I have this idea. Oh, we should do this. Oh, maybe let's envision that they have also already happened. And let's sit in awe of the love privilege because that, that level of awareness, that love can move Mm -hmm. on many, many dimensions and in many, many ways is its power Mm -hmm. and stillness is also movement oh my goodness I think this is one of the most my favorite conversations I've ever had in my life oh my gosh I'm not exaggerating I am just I am awash in Mm. awe and contemplation and inspiration right now and I'm very very grateful because what you have opened my eyes to truly um, in this episode is that one, all of this energy that I'm feeling in myself and I'm channeling into this channel or vehicle is worthy Because even if one person hears it, or even if it's just our conversation, it is changing something. Alpha's nodding vigorously. Very vigorously. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And I am, I've always, always been so tethered to an output. I am like a productivity junkie. I'm a control freak, even though that's a very mean term to call myself. And to to hear somebody like you who is so deeply aware, deeply conscious, and deeply impactful in our world say that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is sit on your butt. Hmm? And love through your thoughts and love through your intentions Mm -hmm. and just focus on that. Mm -hmm. And that being enough is such a blessing to me. I've taken a thousand things away from this conversation, but in regards to work, this idea of moral imagination and moral courage is beautiful. Like, how can we step outside of ourselves enough to imagine something different Mm -hmm. and then how can we actually come together to create that difference Mm -hmm. is incredible um how can we stop ignoring the harm around us 
and actually take an active role in healing? And how can we create a different way of seeing each other in the workplace um, as human beings and through the lens of love? And the biggest piece I think to leave everyone with is we need more real love. And the quote that I was talking about that we discussed earlier was, we need more real love, gritty, dangerous, wild-eyed, justice-seeking love. Love is not passive. Love is not just the soft, squishy, sensitive um, kitties playing on a sunny day. Mm -hmm. Love is powerful and love can create entire tsunamis of change and that is the sort of love that we should all be embodying yes yes exactly amen to that <laughs> amen to that thank you so 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 much for taking the time i know your family is waiting for you um i cannot express how much this conversation meant to me and I will be reaching out to you very soon. I'm not going anywhere. I am glad to hear you're not going anywhere because I can't wait to see you as well and meet the little ones. And uh, I'm very grateful that we've had a chance to reconnect around such deep and nourishing ideas. Yes, me so too. More love privilege. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, my dear. Bye. Well, bye.